think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like in Argentina, for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 403 of Low Limit Football on this 14th of October, 2023. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, France, Belgium, and Portugal become the first teams to qualify for Euro 2024, joining hosts Germany. Decision Day in MLS is coming up next weekend with as many as 11 teams fighting for the last five spots in the MLS playoffs. Giants like the LA Galaxy and DC United have already been eliminated as well as Lionel Messi's Inter-Miami. Brazil drops points on home soil in World Cup qualifying to Venezuela. We'll discuss the South American qualifiers. And a betting scandal rocks Italian soccer with big names implicated in the investigation. We're going to discuss that and much, much more with our special guest, Matt Santangelo from Football Italia, who will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. What's going on, my man? I'm good, Joe. How are you? Obviously, here we are in the international break where we saw some really interesting surprises and some good matches. Obviously, we're getting right into the swing of things with Euro qualification. We have some teams that have already qualified, some that are still looking to book their spots. And also the United States take on a, a powerhouse, uh, obviously one co-host to another host as the U.S. played Germany later in, in our backyard. Yeah, that's uh, you know exciting coming up uh coming up today uh like i said uh to matt earlier in my hometown um east hartford connecticut uh so you know i'm, I'm very excited that, that that match is coming up although uh you needed a small mortgage to be able to go see that game you know it was funny i went and looked just just for laughs i went and looked and see uh you know what the pricing was for tickets and i think the cheapest ticket i could find was 120 bucks um insane you know the, the amount of money they're charging for that but Hey, it is what it is. U.S. soccer trying to make a few bucks, and um, and it's a big match against a you know a, a German powerhouse that hasn't been so powerful lately. But uh, we'll see how they uh, how they fare. So um, let's jump into it because we got a pretty a pretty full show. Um, and my friend, you are in charge of trivia this week. So if you wouldn't mind laying it on me, let's go. Let's do it. So we saw in the World Qualifiers following Argentina's one 0 win over Paraguay. 
Emmy Martinez setting a new Argentina national team record for the most goals, sorry, for the most minutes without conceding a goal. 622 minutes. That's insane when you think about it. Uh, Joe, that the last goal that was scored on Emmy Martinez was in the World Cup final with Kylian Mbappe's penalty. So he surpassed the record of one Armand Burgos. Uh, obviously, Armand Burgos was a longtime goalkeeper for Argentina, also was Diego Simeone's assistant at Atlético Madrid. Mm-hmm. But what year did he set that record and how many years did it have to take for Emmy Martinez to break the record? So all I need is a year um, that uh, Emmy Martinez was able to break that or if or even better, how long did it take Emmy Martinez to break that record? All right. Uh, I have an idea. Um... So basically, if it's easier for you. Just tell me how many years did it take for Emmy Martinez to break that record? Um, and bonus points if you can give me the exact year. Okay. All right. I'll I'll give you uh, I'll give you an answer at the end of the show. So, cool. let's jump in opening thoughts. And uh, opening thoughts is exactly kind of what you were alluding to. Uh, World Cup qualifiers in South America. We had uh, some interesting, to say the least, results this week. Uh, you know, a couple of draws, but very important and big draws. Uh, Uruguay and Colombia draw two uh, two with a, a, a Colombian red card there. Ecuador, I believe, get to zero points finally. Let me just double check that before I say it. Uh, no, they, although, got three points. they are on three points now. Finally, they're out of the hole that they dug themselves with a two-one over uh, two-one victory over Bolivia uh, in Bolivia, by the way, which is not easy. Argentina one-nil over Paraguay, which you just talked about a little earlier to an extent. Um, Lionel Messi getting in that match, uh, I believe, in the 60th minute. Uh, Chile two-nil uh, over Peru, and then the big shocker, Brazil. Drawing one one with Venezuela on home soil. Um, God, where do you want to start, man? Because this is you know this was a, a you know let's let's start with Brazil. Um, you know Brazil in this match were leading one uh, nil. I want to say up until I'm, I'm looking at the stats right now. The 85th minute with uh, with Bello scoring for Venezuela to uh, to to draw the game level. Uh, Gabriel uh, scored the one nil to, to open uh, with an assist from Neymar. Uh, you know there was plenty of excitement in this particular matchup but i think the bellow goal was was a bit of a shocker um so late in the match what were your thoughts on this one yeah i mean it's a, it's a huge result for venezuela you know certainly as we've always alluded to the only team in south america not to qualify um to the world cup all the other nine countries have done it and so now with this kind of expanded format they're really trying to to achieve that really and, and getting a huge result in Brazil against Brazil, which other teams who are much stronger than Venezuela are, have been unable to do. You know, it's the first time since 2016 a 2-2 draw against Uruguay was the last time that Brazil dropped points in a home world qualifier. That was during the Dunga era, Joe. That mm-hmm. was That's how far back we're going. So oh. it's been uh, quite some time and, you know, 15 straight wins prior to this 1-1 draw against Venezuela on Thursday. So, no, it's a huge result. I think I, I, think I did see a Brazil side that was a bit lethargic. You didn't see... The best out of players like Neymar, um, obviously the goal coming from Gabriel um, in the um, in the 50th minute. But you saw a Venezuela side that didn't give up. They didn't give up under Fernando Batista. They really have been able to to get the results that they've been able to get. You know, this is a Venezuela side really on the on the uprise. You know, they beat Paraguay. They got this result against Brazil. They barely lost to Colombia in Colombia. It was a Santos Borrego early in the second half to get that. So. You know, this this Venezuela side is, is starting to become maybe a dark horse for qualification. You know, of course, right now, if the, if the tournament ended right now um, for qualification, they'd be in it. So, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think this is also a big thing for Argentina, who, you know, coming off this 1-0 win over Paraguay, I think Argentina are really now in the driver's seat to to finish first. And I had said that even in my prediction, that I think Argentina were going to go um, really in this in this really good like route. And, you know, they play Brazil next month at the Maracanã. Uh, always a big match between these two. But, uh, you know, I got to tell you, Joe, Looking at the way that Brazil have been playing, and also with Argentina, I, I I don't know if anyone can stop this Argentina side, Joe. I really can't. Like, I'm not going to be bold and say they're going to go 18 and 0, but I, I don't I don't see them losing any of these games, even if they do play Brazil, because I think yeah they have the chance to beat them at home, but away, especially the way that Venezuela is doing. If, if Argentina can do that against a much which is a way better side than Venezuela are. I don't see why they can't, and I said this last time, I don't see why they can't get a win or or some sort of result in Brazil. And yeah, if Brazil lose for the first time in a home World Cup qualifier, that's a, that's a huge deal. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, depending on who comes in, if Carlo Ancelotti is the man for it, um, that's, that's going to be a big blow for morale for this Brazil side. For sure. I mean, you know, just, you know, kind of transitioning over to the Argentina-Paraguay match. Um, Argentina still haven't conceded a goal in World Cup qualifying. Um, this is a team that you would have expected, or not expected, but um, if they'd rested on their laurels, you know, Messi wins the World Cup, you know, all the storylines that come along with that, uh, you know, and, and, you know, Messi's not exactly a young spring chicken. If this If this Argentina side got off to a... If they got off to the Brazil start, okay, where they where they won two, drew one. I mean, you look at their opponents. They had they had Ecuador, they had uh, Bolivia, they had uh, Paraguay um, in this last match. You know, you if they'd like, let's say won two and drew one, maybe drew Ecuador. You you wouldn't really make too much of it, right? Um, but this team is not settling, and and Brazil, you know, even though they they didn't lose. But they didn't have that killer instinct in allowing a team like Venezuela, which, you know, not for nothing, like you said, is the only team from South America to not qualify for a World Cup, to allow them to actually pick up points on the road in Brazil is is a massive victory for Venezuelan soccer. And it's a massive defeat for Brazilian, Brazilian soccer um, morale-wise, right? I mean, Venezuela right now have, have got to think like they can beat anybody. Um, you know, when you go into Brazil and, and you get points, you, you've got to be on top of the world. Next match for them is Chile. Chile currently tied with them, um, on points. Uh, you know, so they're, they're, they're right there. And I know it's still early in qualifying. Like you said, there's 18 matches. We're, we're going into match day four. So there's still a lot to be played, but the start that Venezuela is off to right now, I think is, is nothing short of incredible. Let, let's go to that Argentina matchup against Paraguay because and I know you were watching this one very, very closely. I was watching it with you as well. Um, the one nil on, on the Golasso by Nicholas Odomendi, which, you know, still shocks me that he even was, was able to volley that ball in like that, um, really shows you the confidence that Argentina is playing with. And for me, the one nil doesn't tell the story. This was, this was one way, uh, traffic where Argentina were just all over Paraguay. Paraguay really didn't, didn't develop much of anything in this particular matchup. And now you look at Paraguay, haven't scored a goal yet in three World Cup qualifiers. They've been very good defensively. They only, they've only conceded twice. Um, and to hold Argentina in that match to 1-0, I think is, you know, is is the silver lining around the dark cloud 
But from a Paraguay standpoint, this has not gotten off to a good start, my friend. What do you think? No, it hasn't. And, you know, obviously me following this team for quite some time has allowed me to really feel a bit pessimistic. Now, of course, you know, looking at Argentina, yes, I, I think you're right. The 1-0 doesn't paint the whole picture. It could have been three. It could have been four, you know, had it not been for some some good sitters from Lautaro Martinez and obviously some missed chances. Messi almost scoring that Olimpico from the corner. I mean, that would have been just kind of the the highlight of his of, uh, already of a career. I don't think he's ever scored a goal from the corner kick line. So imagine him doing that. Uh, it would have been something amazing. But yeah, again, it's an Argentina side that I don't see them. St- no one's going to stop them. Really, I, I don't. I don't see that. Um, as for Paraguay, yeah, I mean, they, all, all fun and games to you know he- only lose one nil to Argentina, but they need to score. They haven't scored a single goal yet in three games. Now they got Bolivia, the, the the worst team in South America at the moment. And crazy enough, as it seems, Joe, they've also scored goals. They've conceded 10, but they scored two. So, yeah, I mean, Paraguay aren't unable to. And they play at home. They've never lost to Bolivia. In fact, the last time that these two played in a World Cup qualifier, it ended in a 2-2 draw. That was the first time Paraguay ever dropped points to Bolivia at home. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think this is a not only an obligation to win, but win big. And, and, you know, they need to do that right now. If, if they're not able to do that, I mean, I don't I don't see how they have any chance of qualifying, really, even with this expanded format. But, yeah, Paraguay really needs to get it going in this game against Bolivia, against the, the whipping boys of the continent. And, yeah, I mean, as long as they're able to do that, then hopefully come next month, they got Chile, they got Colombia, two tough matches, regardless, that at least that can at least boost morale for them to, to hopefully continue their their fight for qualification for the world cup certainly they've got to get it moving on the front foot um for sure one of those opponents that you just mentioned uh colombia played a 2-2 draw with uruguay um and i think one of the big takeaways here was uh camilo vargas the uh, the goalkeeper for um for uh colombia getting a red card in the 87th minute uh you know so obviously he'll miss the next match but this was also something that um, Darwin Nunez uh, scores a 91st minute penalty to win the match. Um, you know, what were your thoughts on this? How does this match help to shape the uh, the table for for South America? No, I mean, it shapes up differently, especially with Venezuela getting that results. You know, the fact that they're only one point behind Colombia allows them to to really. And of course, Chile getting the one against Peru and another team like Peru also or kind of in a similar route as Paraguay. They haven't scored a goal yet. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's big. It really is. And, you know, I, I think, I think you shouldn't really paint a big picture as of yet because the qualifiers are long. We're only three games out of 18. So not even a quarter of the way there. Um, and I think it allows teams to feel like, Hey, majority of them are still in the fight. I I think Bolivia's chances as much as they've kind of regressed tremendously, I don't think they're going to really do anything, but for the other nine, all it takes is that result, really. And, yeah. and getting, like, for Uruguay's case, like, you know, they didn't want to suffer a second straight loss under, under Bielsa after getting that loss to Ecuador. I think they really wanted to snatch a point, especially away from home. I mean, that's always the, the key factor. You see that. Uruguay getting the win away, uh, getting the result away, Venezuela getting the result away. I think Ecuador, it's also Ecuador getting the 2 1 win in the last minute away. Those are the matches that allow you to. To put you in contention to to win because yeah obviously playing at home allows you to use that to your advantage depending on what the the circumstances are but that's the obligation to win at home mm-hmm. it's the results that you get away from home that allow you to to put you above the rest of the pack and i think obviously with the exception of brazil and argentina who 
are more than capable of getting results away from home, aside from of getting results at home, it's the other teams that need to get that and, and to, of course, secure qualification as quickly as possible. Because, yeah, as of course, even though six and a half teams do go there, once you feel as if though you separated yourself from the rest of the pack and you feel like you're in a position to qualify, it shouldn't matter what happens in the next results. But, you know, you shouldn't let your guard down, you know. And, and I think, you know, what we saw from Bolivia and, and uh, Colombia, they did, even Brazil. So it's all about playing those 90 minutes and, and being able to to snatch whatever you can and then to not give in until the final whistle is uh, is blown by the referee. For sure. Um, so so far through three match days, Paraguay and Peru have not scored a goal yet. Argentina has not conceded. And Bolivia, like you said, the whipping post have conceded 10 goals in three matches. So we'll have to see how the uh, how the World Cup qualifiers develop in South America as we go on. Match day four coming up on Tuesday. Let's table that discussion and let's get our guest in here. Matt Santangelo joined us a little earlier from Football Italia with the, uh, the breaking news this week of uh, another betting scandal going on, this time in Italy with... Pretty high-profile players uh, sending players home from the Italian national team. Uh, there's a lot to discuss there. So, without further ado, the Matt Santangelo interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football from Football Italia, Matt Santangelo. Matt, welcome back to the show. It is great to have you on, and I'm glad we got you at, at such a pivotal time in Italian soccer. Uh, when we really think about it, the uh, this news this week of the scandal breaking out with this uh, a betting scandal. Um, first, it started out with Nicolo Fagioli at, uh, at Juventus. It's expanded since to Sandro Tonali and uh, Zaniolo, Nicolo Zaniolo, um, who were with the Italian national team at the time preparing to play Malta and uh, England, respectively. Uh, it also expanded to uh, Nicola Zaluski at Roma, um, who was then kind of acquitted because uh, there wasn't enough evidence. But reports are there are going to be up to 20 more names, um, 20 more players uh, that are, are going to be uh, in, implicated in this betting scandal um even nicolo zaniolo's mother um was part of this quote-unquote betting ring now there are pieces of it um you know with with fagioli where they were talking about him betting on football matches um zaniolo and tonali were more like a, a betting scandal where they were betting on illegal betting sites but they were playing like poker and blackjack and that sort of thing and they weren't actually betting on football matches according to them uh and according to reports what do you what do you know is the latest um, in this particular scandal, and how do you think it affects not only the uh, the Italian national team but even the big clubs in Italy like Juve, like Roma, um, or even in England where uh, Zaniolo and Tonali are right now? Yeah, no, I think it's I think it's definitely concerning. Um, I think we're we're still waiting on a lot of the details to come out. Um, it was it was pretty much like a bombshell report, and I you know obviously we're in the field of media, right? And, you know, we have to kind of consider who the source is and, you know, who's the one putting out these reports. And, you know, that's kind of what I wanted to do when I first saw the news and the information. I was like, okay, well, who's the source? Like, are reputable sources picking up and running with this story? Um, and sure enough, it's obviously been uh, proven to be true uh, because, uh, you know, T- Tonali and Zaniolo were sent home from um, from Italy camp ahead of, you know, a big, big Euro qualifier, which, you know, obviously is where you want to have your top players at. And Zaniolo's been doing pretty well at Aston Villa. Um, and Tonali's been a fan favorite at Newcastle since his move from Milan this past summer. So, um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see what ultimately what the details are of everything, as you mentioned, right? It's If it's illegal gambling sites and it's, you know, online poker, roulette, and all these sorts of things, which I don't know about you guys, but, you know, 
for me, like we're, we're in the U.S. here and I feel like those things are common. Like you go on online, you play online poker and it's common. Now, if it's done on an illegal site, well, that's a whole nother conversation. Um, and then it's another conversation if it's done um, to impact or influence actual football matches and the outcomes of those matches. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, as a Milan fan, um, you know, Joe, you're a Juventus fan and Roberto, obviously you follow Serie A quite closely as well. I'm kind of like on edge as to like, all right, who are the other 20 players that are going to come out um, and how that's ultimately going to impact like the rest of the Serie A season and even the Italian national team um, going forward. So, yeah, it's it's still new, it's still fresh, but we'll have to wait and see what the, um, the finer details are and then kind of take it from there. You know, and, and Martino, really going into this, this really kind of affects as well how Italy are obviously going to deal with this rest of the campaign for the um, – for the Euro qualifying, obviously they play Malta today. Then they have to take on England in, at Wembley, you know, an England side that obviously are a bit hot and cold when you realize it. But, hey, this is a team that I haven't lost since the World Cup uh, elimination to France. So they've been doing good so far. They were speaking on the day that they beat Australia 1-0 against Ali Watkins. And, and Matt, I think it's it's really – sorry, I said Martino there. Matt, <laughs> my fault. Um no, I, I think it's 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 going to be interesting to see how this Italy team really goes into it. And, you know, I just wanted your thoughts on really looking at assessing all of this and, you know, assuming that they do qualify, because I, I am very, very convinced that they will, because, you know, they're at least assured of a playoff spot. But, you know, what are some of those changes that you think Italy have to make, even if, you know, all of this fallout does indeed happen, that come the Euros, you know, how do you want this Italy side to, you know, ultimately try and go and defend their title uh, in Germany next summer? I think Italy just needs to get back to a lot of the core principles that makes and has made Italy successful in the past. Sorry, I think like it's never maybe always going to be down to the abundance of top tier players. Yes, there is. There are really good players in this Italy squad. Um but you know, even some of the triumphs of, you know, the, the previous Euro, you can make a strong case that they weren't the strongest team at Euro. Even, you know, in, in the in the 2016 Euro competition with Conte, they overachieved. They went far with a lot of players that were, um, you know, under the radar, maybe fringe players at their clubs, but fit Conte's identity. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see how Spalletti adapts um, this time around, right? Because the expectations as defending champions is to... Um, you know, repeat, that's a high bar that you have to set for a nation like Italy. So it's only natural. Um, but the timing of everything, you know, like it's, again, a crucial, crucial Euro qualifiers here. And now you have Tonali, you have Zaniolo, you have a lot of controversy surrounding this betting scandal. And Spalletti's having to effectively get results um, with a, a thinner squad, a squad that you know, maybe he's still trying to feel his way around. Um, I've seen some of the projected 11, you know, I said Raspadori as like a false nine. So he's, you know, probably it looks like he could be steering away from the Chiri Mobile situation. Maybe we do see Skamaka at some point. But the point being is, I think this is going to be a Spalletti Italy that tries to get back to what it was at the previous Euro. Um you know, make sure that they have a system that they can maintain, that they can get results, that they can carry out um, and play good football. And I, I do expect that from Spalletti. I know, you know, that the timing of everything is is, is difficult, but Spalletti is a very hard headed, very strong manager. And I think that he's going to find a way to um, 
get Italy into a positive position to to qualify for 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 Euro. So um, I'm I'm cautiously optimistic again, given everything we've just discussed so far with what's happening with this betting scandal. But I do think Spalletti is going to find a way to maneuver through this all and and get Italy to to a Euro. Now, obviously, a team that is trying to obviously, of course, defend their title, uh, in the case of Italy, to the Euro. Uh, switching gears to what's going on in Serie A, we have to talk about Napoli, because obviously they've been in the news. You know, aside from the Victor Osterman kind of, not scandal, but kind of drama, you know, there had been some reports of Antonio Conte coming in to replace uh, Rudy Garcia. Rudy Garcia, that's under a lot of pressure because of the start of the season. Obviously, he said no to this. And they're sticking with Rudy Garcia, you know, Matt. I mean, obviously, Napoli are, you know... They didn't have the best of starts so far to the season. You know, they, they kind of bounced back um, so far. They're in fifth place, only a few points behind. You know, obviously the the teams like Milan, Inter, Juve, and if you're in Tina. So I just want your thoughts on what you view of Napoli so far, especially now with them in their Champions League group. You know, they, they had a, despite the loss, they had a really good game. I think they had with Real Madrid. Now they're still trying to, to bounce back and then try to go and qualify to the knockout stage. So just want your thoughts on how, USS Napoli, and, and if Rudy Garcia can indeed um, steer the ship and get them back into contention for, for every single title that they're fighting for. I think Napoli in a very difficult spot. Um, and I think it's been pretty evident for, for weeks now, right? And it's not just the, the Victor Osman thing, right? I think it's, um, you know, the, the way that it feels, that, at least from an outsider's perspective, given what we know and what we've seen from them um, through a handful of matches, is it feels like the players don't really have the back of Rudy Garcia. Um, and I think, again, getting back to what I said about Spalletti's Italy, like, um, you know, I think like if you lose the changing room, if you lose the guys and the guys don't believe in your principles, they don't believe in your way of doing things, and they don't have the ultimate trust that you can, you know, skipper the team to, to positive results, I think you're going to have a disconnect there. You're going to have, um, regression, and we're seeing the natural regression from last year, right? I think where people said, oh, well, you know, Spalletti did this, Spalletti did that, and I'm like, they have a lot of the same players. They have Osman still, they got Kavara still, you know, yet yeah, they kept Zelinski amidst rumors of an, an interest from Saudi Arabia. Yeah, they did lose Kim Min Jae, but they have pretty much the same team, and it's like, yeah, but you take out a guy like Spalletti, who's such a figurehead, and he's such a corporate, corp, you know, uh, figure for what it, Napoli has been the past handful of years, and then you remove him and you put Rudy Garcia in there, who, guys, entered with, you know, a lot of, like, groans and, uh, Rudy Garcia? Like, it came out of nowhere. There were talks of other managers. I think there was Galtier, if I'm correct. Um, there was a couple other managers that were that people were thinking, it's like, okay, you know, I, I don't mind that. I wouldn't mind him as the coach if, if Spalletti's leaving. And then all of a sudden, De Laurentiis comes out and says, Rudy Garcia, like, Benvenuto, and everyone's like, Rudy Garcia. So I think Napoli fans, maybe they won't tell you that they were pessimistic about this appointment because I think they wanted to be positive, uplifting, and they wanted to say, hey, you know, well, well, let's give it a shot. We have the right players in there. We can still be champions again. And I think you're out, you're kind of seeing the vibe around, you know, Napoli Twitter, even, and a lot of the Napoli fans that they kind of foresaw this coming. And, you know, some of the results have been pretty poor to start the season. Um, Cavada has come on a little bit stronger late, but you know he hasn't had the same explosive start. Um, Osman, I still think he's you know probably you know right there with with, with uh, Latar Martinez for the Capocaniere. Although when Latar scoring three four goals off the bench, I think it's his to lose. Um, 
so this Napoli team, it's going to be interesting to see. Can they can they gather a cap of themselves, right? Can they buy into Rudy Garcia? Um, because guys, let's be honest, like when it's never a good look when the owner's coming out in the media and pretty much saying, Well, we're not happy so far with how he's done things and it's basically insinuating that like he's looking to make a change and will make a change when the moment presents itself. Um, you mentioned Conte. Conte shot it down, says he wants to spend time with his family. He will not join a club midseason, um, which I think is 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 right, right? Because I think that's always a difficult prospect. Um, and then the other manager that was rumored was Marco Giampaolo. And Milan fans know that Giampaolo didn't do anything with, with the resources he had. He got the axe very soon. And then Paoli came to coach and we've seen what he's done. So we'll wait and see. Um, I think that there is opportunity for Napoli to, you know, get this season back on track. But I think the more they, they linger with Rudy Garcia, the more things seem to be on tense uh, levels. I think that they really put themselves in a position where, guys, they, they could miss out on top four. Like, I think it's a real possibility, given how deep Serie A has become, that they miss out on a top four spot. And I think, you know, look, most manage, most owners have to know when to make that decision, when to pull the plug on something that isn't working. So I think the leash will be very short. So what they do coming out of the international break and those next matches will be crucial. Matt, I, I you know, just listening to your words, I, I do I have a thought that came across my mind. And I'd like your opinion on it. Um, sure. You know, up to about a few years ago, Italian managers were so, were sought after around the world. I mean, we talk about Ancelotti, we talk about you know, Max Allegri, we talk about Antonio Conte, we talk about Maurizio Sarri. I mean, there were so many names. But nowadays, it seems like those names tend to be um, almost like a retread of, you know, what are we going to get? Well, we'll get Conte. Well, Conte is very rigid in his style. What are we, you know, Allegri, very rigid in his style. Are, are we at a point now, because we're not seeing many exciting new coaches come out maybe Inzaghi we can talk about him but other than that I mean I'm sure there was high hopes for Pirlo um that's kind of really gone south is Italy in a um in a coaching crisis uh, my, my co-host just brought up in the chat Deserbi um who's doing really well at Brighton but is there a coaching crisis in Italy do you think I think that there, there, there is, there is a little bit, yeah. Because I think you know, you look at, and you, men, you mentioned a lot of the names, right? You know, everyone looked, you know, everyone references Saki, Saki's Milan, like you know, the, all those, all the influences from that era of coaching, right? Ancelotti and um, Lippi, and you know, all the names we've known as great Italian coaches historically in the game. Um, but Conte's been tried, right? He's been tried at Tottenham. He's been tried at so many different clubs, and it's very always, pretty much always short lived. It's always there's buzz. He influences the, the club. The club plays harder. They get results. And then he goes and says, well, I need this player, this player, this player. They don't meet the demands. He gets annoyed and then they leave. Right. right. It's kind of like the Conte life cycle. Now, he's been successful. But I think the way the personalities clash or would clash between him at, let's say, Napoli, for instance, I don't think that would work at all. I think, you know, you have two very, you know, aggressive and, and yeah, <laughs> high testosterone personalities, if you will, right? With yeah. De Laurentiis and Conte. Like, I think there would be so much friction there on ideas. We saw what Cattuso was doing with De Laurentiis and how much friction was there. Um, I will say, though, I do have some hope in, like, this younger generation of coaches that's coming through, um, or not coming through, that's already here, but that are making headway in Serie A. I like Paladino. I like what he's done at Monza. Last year was was a real overachieving year for them. Newly promoted, they pulled the plug on Stropa and they brought Paladino in and he got them to, 
I think a top ten finish and like fifty points. So There's he seven. did a really good job with with Monza. I think again a lot of the resources that have been accessible to him have have contributed to that, but more or less. He's done a really good job at Monza, and I think there's a real opportunity for him to make the next step as well. You got Vincenzo Italiano at Fiorentino, who are doing really good things. Um, they're getting some really good results in Serie A. They're building a really good system there. Um, and I think there's, you know, that would be, personally, that would have been the guy I think that Napoli should have gone after if he was available, right, to get Italiano, because I think that would have been a, not a seamless transition, because it's never easy to replace Spalletti with a new coach and expect the same result. But Italiano is like the next up, right? It's kind of like, if you think about it, it's De Cherubi who's getting that, that praise and plaudits in, in England for what he's doing from Pep Guardiola and, and, and the like. But then you feel like the next guy, it's like, all right, who's, who's next up? And you feel like it is Italiano to get that opportunity, whether it be domestically from like a Juventus or some of these other clubs or abroad, right? Do you think that these teams are seeing what De Cherubi's been able to do at Brighton and thinking, well, who else can we bring from Italy that has those same core principles and play styles and bring it here? I think Italiano is a real candidate for that. And I do like Tiago Mota. I think Tiago Mota has done a good job with, with his general side. So I do think there's some good coaches, but I do agree in the sense that there is a little bit of a crisis because I think there's a lot of stubbornness with Italians to uh, you know shy away from the, the conventional norm of, of doing things, of coaching. I think how many times have we seen, you know, coach get fired then let's bring in um you know uh Ranieri and no disrespect to Ranieri but it's like recycling the same ideas and not really getting any fresh ideas to kind of inject into the league and into the you know into culture so um yeah I, I think there's are some good coaches but I do think there is some concern to get you know some new blood some fresh ideas that can help further elevate um culture Let's look ahead now. Um, as we come out of the international break, we come into a a very big match. Uh, first place AC Milan, uh, seven out of eight so far to start the season, coming off the one nil over Genoa, and they take on Juventus, uh, who is currently sitting third place, uh, four points behind, coming off the uh, the big victory in the derby against Torino. Um, you know, right now, uh, Federico Chiesa was sent home from the Italian national team because of injury. Um, he's not quite fully healed yet to be able to compete. Um, possible that he's going to play here. Vlahovic has been out. Uh, you know, the Fajoli thing going on right now. And then we look at Milan. Um, you know, Milan currently, you know, uh, reasonably healthy, but going to be without Mike Magnan. They're going to have their new goalie, you know, Olivier Giroud in there, possibly. <laughs> we'll have to see. But um, this is, you know, for, for all intents and purposes in this country, this is like one of the biggest... American matches, I think we've going to see in a long, long time with Timothy Weah and Weston McKinney on one side versus Christian Pulisic and Eunice Musa on the other side. These guys are actually right now in my hometown in East Hartford, um, you know, getting ready to play Germany on the same pitch. And they're going to be facing off next Sunday, um, I believe, in Milan. What are your thoughts on this particular matchup, man? I think it's going to be a great match. I think, you know, Juventus have had some difficult results to start the season, but I think they've done some some real good things as well. Like Vlahovic seems like he's firing. It looks like there's going to be a renewal there potentially, um, if you believe what's being put out in the media. And Chiesa, Chiesa looks like he has his legs underneath him now. I know there's another injury here, so we'll have to wait and see what his status going forward is. But based on what we've seen so far from Chiesa, he looks like he is getting more more so towards the player that he was a couple seasons ago where he was so influential for Juventus and what they did up in the attack. So um, I think that there are some good things that are being done at Juventus this season. Um, they're in a pretty good position, all things considered. I think if you told Juventus fans, hey, 
you know, we're going to finish top four. We're going to get back into the Champions League. You'll take that given how dire things have been with, you know, uncertainty with Allegri and all the situations with the, you know, the false accounting and the investigations there and then not being in Europe for this season. Right. So, um, but just kind of bringing tying it more back to like the American, you know, um, element here. And yeah, I mean, you, you, you know, McKenney's almost has having a new lifeline, right? I think there was, he was at Leeds, Leeds got relegated. Everyone was like, there's no way he's going back to Juventus. They're going to try to sell him for the first bid they get. And he seems like he's sort of reclaimed his his role within that team, and he's he's having a pretty good season so far, all things considered. Um, and I, I do like what what um, I've seen from him. So between him and Weya on one end, and then you have Yunus Musa and Pulisic on the other end, who were kind of acquired tastes when they were when brought to Milan. And when I say that, I mean more so that people were kind of skeptical about what they would ultimately bring. People saw them as more of commercial signings, signings that can sell jerseys in America, um, you know, exposure to American soccer and, and all the like. But, man, like, it's amazing what results and production can do, right? Like, the only way you can prove people wrong is just simply by playing good football. And Pulisic has, what, four goals and an assist. He's got the last two match winners for Milan against Genoa and Lazio. Um, he's... He had a really good start to the season, a goal in the first two games. And you have seen Musa here, right? Musa was someone who, you know, was still getting his fitness back. He was integrated into the team by Pioli. And one match to the next, he's improving. He's playing full games, and he's almost a starter. He's pretty much a starter right now. And it's going to be difficult to unseat him when, you know, you do get some of these other players back, like Ruben Loftus-Cheek or Roddy Krunic and, you know, Benacer in the in the early part of next year. So, I think it just kind of is a testament to the quality of, you know, the American soccer and American contingent that we have in Italy where, you know, these players can play like the, the stigma around American Americans outside of, of America is okay. Well, they're not, they're not on the same level. They're good, but compared to who, um, and you're seeing it, they're, they're real quality players. Pulisic's making the difference. Moose is making the difference. You see what Wea is doing at Juventus and the same goes for Weston McKinney. So, um, this is going to be a very exciting match if you're just strictly a more of a neutral and you're like, hey, I love American soccer. I've been following the path of these players for a handful of years now. I want to see what they're able to produce in Italy in a big match. You're going to get your opportunity out of the gate. And um, I'm excited as a Milan fan to see, to see these, uh, these four players take the field. No doubt. Matt, I want to thank you for coming on the show and joining us uh, this week. Uh, always fantastic to catch up with you. Uh, looking forward to the match uh, coming up this coming weekend. And uh, we'll definitely talk soon, my friend. Thank you guys so much. Always a pleasure talking. And we'll, uh, we'll talk soon, I'm sure. And special thanks to Matt Santangelo for joining us on the show. Roberto, we are still in the middle of this uh, this international break, but uh, as we close it out, we are going to get into some big matches coming up. So let's give you a, a list of matches starting on Monday the 16th with European qualifier Greece and Netherlands at 2.45 p.m. On Tuesday, we go to England, Italy at 2.45 p.m., the big matchup. We'll have to see how Italy responds with losing all these players. Um, then we'll go to South American qualifiers uh, with Ecuador, Colombia at 7.30 p.m., Uruguay, Brazil at 8 p.m. You also have the friendly between USA and Ghana at 8.30 p.m. as well. Also check your listings for the other qualifiers in South America on Tuesday evening. On Wednesday, 
We're going to give you a midweek uh, MLS matchup. Inter-Miami and Charlotte uh, at 8 p.m. will kick off. Uh, Charlotte, one of those teams still vying for contention for a uh, MLS Cup playoff. And then on Saturday, we've got a really, really, really busy day. Liverpool-Everton, 7.30 a.m. We're going to kick off with the Merseyside Derby. We're going to go to Union Berlin and Stuttgart at 9.30 a.m. in Germany. We're going to give you a second match in England as well with Chelsea-Arsenal at 12.30 p.m., a, a London Derby there. And then starting at 6 p.m., we have Decision Day in MLS. The Eastern Conference will face off at 6 p.m., the Western Conference at 9 p.m. Check your availability for uh, particular matches. There are going to be too many to list. On Sunday, we have that Milan-Juve matchup that we discussed with Matt Santangelo at 2.45 p.m. And we're going to close out the week with Barcelona and Athletic Club at 3 p.m. in Spain as well. My friend, you gave me a trivia question earlier today. Why don't you go ahead and give it to me again? Yes, absolutely. So uh, we saw Emmy Martinez set a new Argentina national team record for the most minutes without conceding a goal with 622 minutes and counting. He did surpass the record of Juan Herman Burgos in 1998. Um, obviously, oh, wow. I just <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Go ahead and oh, finish the God. question. I think I know the answer. <laughs> Let's, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, I've done that before. Yeah. I've done uh, it. Oh, God. Wow. Uh, so good because I was going to guess 1992. So okay, um, wow. okay, so, there you go. Wow. So 25, 25 years. Twenty five years. That's, that's that's a good record, though. I mean, all right. How about this? Okay. Let's let's, let's make it better. All right. Um, what was Herman Burgos's record? Because it, it's six hundred twenty two now. Okay. But what what was the number that he broke? Let's go with uh, let's go with uh, five eighty eight. Higher. Is it over six hundred? Yes. Oh, then let's go 610. Lower. One more shot. Really? Uh, we'll split it. 605. 608. Wow. Okay. 608 minutes, and now it's 622 minutes and counting, unless Peru score <laughs> in the next few days. But yeah. uh, hey, I, I tried. I, I worked my way there with the, yeah. with the trivia question. Ex- At least I didn't give you the, the exact amount. But Excellent awesome. question and excellent pivot, my friend. I must say. So without mm-hmm. further, uh, without anything left on the list, my friend, let's hit the closing music. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So for episode 404 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Matt Santangelo for joining us on the show. I'm sorry, 403 of Low Limit Football. Next week, we will jump back into European matches uh, around the leagues. We'll discuss decision day uh, as it comes up on Saturday and give you the list of MLS teams that are heading to the playoffs and the ones that are staying home. So for episode 403 of Low Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. I am Roberto Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. <laughs>